Hey everybody, this is John from Pitt's Career Center. This episode features Emily Bennett, one of our career consultants who specializes in STEM fields. Emily sat down with Tim James, a software engineering manager at Google and an instructor here at Pitt's School of Computing and Information. Tim is a Pitt grad himself, and he's been teaching at Pitt for nine years. He also hosts amazing workshops and office hours through our Alumni in Residence program, so keep an eye out for his schedule this fall. Thank you for listening to Time Out with the Career Center, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yes. So just to start off, I just wanted to say that, you know, I think it's incredibly important for students to hear um, directly from professionals that are out in industry, um, as well as alumni who have been in their shoes. So now you've been in tech for a number of years. Did you always know that you wanted to be a software engineering manager? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, my my tech career is actually old enough to drive now. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, actually it's, it's actually probably old enough to have a beer, believe it or not. Uh, I've been oh. around a minute, but uh, when I was younger, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Honestly, I'm still not sure what I want to do. Uh, so um, yeah. I, I I've always been kind of opportunistic in my career, but I never decided on tech uh, actually until I was already in college. So I started programming at a very young age. I was like nine years old. I had an Atari 130XE. The Atari 130XE had a basic interpreter built into it. Um, And my first experience with programming was, uh, I was about nine years old. I had this book. It had like how to make video games in basic. So I sat down and I entered like 200 lines of code into this basic interpreter and then tried to run it. And I got 300 errors. And uh, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm I'm done with this. I'm never going to write code again. Uh, but it turned out that it was a Commodore book and not a base and not an Atari book. So it was like a totally different thing entirely. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, I kind of got frustrated with it at that point. And I, you know, I, I wrote a little bit of code when I was in high school, but I always thought, you know, I'd go off and be like a chemical engineer or something Mm -hmm. a little bit more physical. Uh, it wasn't until my freshman year of college, uh, I went to the University of Dayton for a year and kind of decided there that maybe I'd like to make software. And, and I think it, it's it's a little bit more interesting to me. I think you can, it's kind of a creative process. So it's, uh, you know, not quite as physical, but it also allows you to do a lot of interesting things. Um, I actually started off at Dayton uh, as a computer engineering manager, and then I transferred to Pitt, or I'm sorry, a computer engineering major. Uh, then I transferred to Pitt as a computer engineering major. And uh, about a year or two into it, I decided to be a computer science major instead because I was more interested in the software side of things and the hardware. So you can change your mind. You can reinvent yourself every couple of years. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're saying that because I think think too often people think I'm going to be this particular thing and then nothing's going to change that when if you pull most people, they say, I didn't know I was going to be this or (laughs) there's some clues, but I didn't know it was going to, you know, end up in this particular role or company. So 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to predict what the future is going to look like. Yes. It's going to, it's hard to predict what your opportunities are going to be. I, you know, I'm at Google now, but I never had a grand plan to go work at Google. Yes. Uh, the opportunity came up. Um, I never intended to be an engineering manager in cloud AI at Google, but the opportunity right. came up. Uh, so I think that there are people who have that like five year or 10 year plan. And I think that's a totally reasonable strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a strategy that works a lot for, for a lot of people. But um, myself, I've always kind of said, oh, you know what, this sounds interesting, I could try it out. You know, I started my career in a publishing company, and then I went to consulting, and then I went yeah. to uh, finance, then I went to defense contracting, then I went to telecom, then I went to capital markets, and uh, yeah. then to Google. So it, it's not that I was an expert in any of those things, but it was like, yeah, it seems interesting. You know, it's an opportunity to learn something. So uh, it's not been planned. It's just yeah. uh, you sometimes <laughs> take what the world gives you. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think especially in tech where things are just literally always changing, there's a new technology, there's a new startup, you know, just being open to that, that, you know, there's always something new to learn and do so. And that's a really important point in tech. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of students will ask me, what should I learn? What what skills should I develop? Should I do Angular? Should I do uh, Bootstrap? Right. Should I? And I think that the, the reality is, you know, what I learned in college was C++ and uh, windowing libraries. You know, that was the oh, cutting wow, edge yeah. stuff. You know, we had pure JavaScript back then. And, uh, you know, some people still do some of these things, but the reality is that 10 years ago, jQuery was the hottest thing. Everybody in web development wanted to be learning jQuery. And uh, now it's really hard to find people who still do jQuery, you know? So I think that, um, you do have to learn a lot. You do have to kind of be ready to, you know, think about where the industry is going to be in five or 10 years, because yeah. it's not going to look the same in 10 years as it does today. Right. Absolutely. So whenever I'm sitting down to think about types of questions to ask, um, you know, there's definitely some themes whenever students come in to meet with me. And most frequently, it starts with the resume. You know, that's really where people want to make sure that they look good, that they're ready to get themselves out there. So what do you personally think? What are three things that a resume should convey? So I, I think that there's a lot of ways to look at what three things a resume should convey. Um, one of the things that I tell students is that you should really see some past, present, and future on your resume. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that you know, some people write this big, long objective statement at the top of their resume and they say, like, I'm results oriented and I'm customer driven and I'm organized and I can use Microsoft Word. You know, it's like right. things that, you know, if I go ask 100 people if they're results oriented, 100 people are going to tell me yes. They'll so it's say like, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really say a lot. So I, I think that there's a way to kind of demonstrate where you're going that is away from an object, objective statement. Um, I think that when you, you're kind of thinking about your resume, you want to think about what are the things you've done, you know, demonstrate what you've done in the past, uh, what you have shown you can do, what your accomplishments are, what your impact has been. Uh, I think that you should show what skills you developed over that time. You should show mm -hmm. what, uh, what, what awards you have or, you know, what involvement you've had over that time. Uh, I think that another thing that's really important is what you're doing right now, you know, and that may be school, that may be an internship, that may be both, that may be a full-time job, uh, but conveying that kind of present activity where you've been either now or most recently, I think is also really important. But the thing that is, is kind of neglected a lot of the time is what does your resume say? Um, some students feel like what they have to do is fill in a full page of their resume. Like I have to have 100% of the white space covered. It has right. to be top to bottom complete. 
and what you end up with is a resume that's just very noisy. It's got a lot mm -hmm. of things in it that just don't really paint a picture. They don't really tell that story. And this is where the future aspect comes in. You know, if I can see that you uh, have gone to college and you have, you know, you're getting a computer science degree or an information science degree, uh, that you have had some internships that are kind of building in responsibility, uh, that you are most recently working at a particular thing, I, I can kind of see where the direction of your career is headed. And, and that's where the future comes in. It's not about laying out like, I want, you know, your objective when you're, when you have a resume is you want to get a job like that. That's your objective. Okay. You know, I think like, yeah. so embellishing that any further is probably not of much value, but showing where you're headed is, uh, is, is more important. And I think that that can come through in the way you present your content, especially if your content is clean. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that, um, again, like a lot of students are, are trying to maximize what they put on their resume. And honestly, I'd rather see a resume that has four or five high points, you know, four or five impressive pieces and nothing else than a resume that has 10 really impressive things, but 30 things that are just sort of noise. You know, I think yeah. that they aren't really adding that value. Um, when you're looking at resumes, you only have a certain amount of time you're spending on each one. So you may right. look at a resume for 10 seconds. And if you have 50 things on your resume and only five of them that are good, I might see 30 things that are okay, you know, 30 things that are average or, or less. And I think that that's the, the message here is it's not about how much quantity you throw on your resume. It's really about how quickly you can make someone interested. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I know you do, you know, some hiring and you've seen plenty of resumes and applications and, and just the reminder to students that people are reading these very quickly. Like you really don't have the luxury of time for someone to to sift through and make meaning of everything, you know? So you really do, um, like Tim mentioned, make sure that you prominently display the things that you're working on, you're proud of, and then potentially some of the other things are, not saying they're not as important, but you really wanna, you know, pay particular attention to other things, so. Yeah, but, yeah. and mm -hmm. I think that there is one thing that I tell students frequently, which is, you should look at all of the content on your resume and, and sort of evaluate it, you know, take a look right. at everything that's on your resume and, and evaluate it and come up with a bar. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, if you look at, if you have, you know, your average resume has what, uh, you know, probably around 50 lines in it, you know, right. so if you look at those 50 lines and you evaluate them, you should come up with an idea of what is, what is sort of the minimum quality or the minimum value thing I'm going to put on my resume and anything yeah. that doesn't meet that, just leave it off. You know, it doesn't right. mean you didn't do it, but, uh, your resume is not a tool to get you a job. I think that's a thing that people sort of miss yeah. a lot is that they look at the resume and they're like, oh, I have to kind of convey everything I can do and everything that I could do and everything that I will do and everything that I have mm -hmm. done. Uh, and that's not really the point. The point of a resume is really to get you into that interview room. And the point of the interview is to, to uh, convince people that you can do the job, that you can demonstrate your skills there. But the resume just gets you that far. I don't know anybody who's ever been hired purely on their resume. Uh, right. So if you look at it as that just sort of a tool for the next step, it kind of changes the perspective and, and changes the way you want to, to demonstrate what you can do on your resume. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can imagine people who've been out working for a while, if you put everything you've ever done, you know, you can, everyone can imagine how long a resume that would be, that would really not be doing you any favor. So I'm glad I, glad you mentioned that as well. Yeah, after 21 years, my resume is still a page. It's one page. <laughs> uh, and, and I think 
there is, yeah. you know, you could have an argument to say, I want to have a longer resume. And I think right. after some time, maybe you do want to have a longer resume, but I still try to maintain that one page resume is just sort of the, you know, this is, this is the splash pamphlet, right? Like this is yeah. the thing that shows what I can do. This is, this shows what I can bring to the table. If you want to know more, let's talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that comes up is there's a lot of anxiety about technical interviews, mm-hmm. you know, how worried should they be? You know, is there a way that they can best prepare? Yeah, and you know, the, it's fair that there is a lot of anxiety. Um, I have a couple of reactions to this space. You know, one is that a lot of technical interviews are hard, and I think yeah. that they're hard in ways that a lot of students uh, tend to shy away from. Um, the reality is that interviews are like any other skill. The more you practice them, the better you get. So I do encourage students to go on as many interviews as they can, even if they're not terribly interested in the job or they don't feel they're qualified for the job. Because if you go in and you get that practice, that's going to be a really useful experience. And if you start looking at interviews as sort of a conversation, as a mm-hmm. as, as something that's building up to something else, uh, I think it, it, it changes your mindset in them. You know, a lot of people look at interviews as an adversarial relationship. Like we, you know, it's me versus the interviewer. Um, it's not a really healthy way to think about it because it should be more conversational. It should be sort of, you're learning about the company, they're learning about you. Um, I can tell you that in the past, I've had interviews where I haven't gotten the job offer. uh, And I've been very frustrated by that. And I think that the reality is with a little bit of time uh, between you and the process, you start to see, well, if they didn't hire me, it probably wasn't a good fit for some reason. You know, maybe that was they were looking for a particular skill set that I didn't demonstrate well. Maybe they were looking for something that I don't do. Maybe they wanted somebody who was interested in something that I am not interested in. Uh, sometimes it's performance. You know, sometimes you get in there and, you know, it's just somebody just can't kind of get through whatever the technical problem is. But uh, I think relaxing a little bit understanding that it's not the last opportunity you're ever going to have. Uh, I think that last point is really important. I think that a lot of people kind of look at everything that comes across their plate is the last good opportunity they will ever have. You're going to have a lot of those, you know, you got a long career ahead of you. So I think that uh, when you start to think about things in terms of this is right now, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of time in in the future, you can kind of set your expectations there effectively. Um, Practicing interviews is always important. Uh, trying to do some problems and and do them without resources. I I think this is a thing that a lot of students, uh, a lot of people, not just students, but a lot of people run into is that they kind of sit down and they look at the documentation, they solve a problem, they compile, they test it. You know, you can't do those things in a real interview typically. You know, you have to do it either on a whiteboard or, you know, on a computer, but typically in front of somebody while they're watching. So try try to solve the problem, even if it's an imperfect solution, try to solve it without resources, try to solve it while you're narrating what you're doing, try to solve it while you're talking about your decisions and your trade-offs and you know why you were doing things the way that you were doing them um i think that helps a lot and if you do that you know a little bit a little bit every couple of days for a while you know eventually you will find that it's not so much whether or not you're going to do effectively in the the technical interview you might get surprised by a question sometimes you may not be able to solve every kind of problem but you'll at least be comfortable with the process yes yeah absolutely And, and i think too sometimes people will discount an entire company because they didn't make it through, you know, round. And I'm always telling students, no way, don't, you know, you're at this point, don't, don't write that company off for the rest of your life. But people do feel so personally rejected, you know, from the company. And that's just not how it works out there. You know, it's, you could have yeah. identical candidates and, you know, it's just, there's things beyond your control. So. Well, and I think, 
you know, I can tell you my own personal experiences. Uh, I interviewed at Google twice before I got the job. I interviewed in 2006 for a product manager position. And my interview was so bad that it was, it was funny. I mean, like it was oh, wow. the kind of thing that you would see in a sitcom. I think I told them that uh, during the course of the interview, I think I said, your company won't survive another few years. I think I told them <laughs> the product was bad. Uh, it was just, you know, it went off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I would say probably my worst interview performance in my life was the first time I interviewed with Google. Oh my uh, gosh. And they still asked me again uh, to interview there. <laughs> so I did interview again uh, in 2012 and I went through the whole process. I did all of the interviews. I, you know, they, they flew me to Mountain View, California. I mm -hmm. talked to a lot of people. I uh, was very excited about the opportunity and I got a call saying that I didn't, I didn't make the cut. Um, and I, I was really frustrated, you know, to your point, I was like, well, I'm going to go build my own Google, you know, like, yes. I, you know, I was just kind of <laughs> ticked off. But, you know, I, after some reflection, I thought, you know what, there's probably some good reasons why I didn't make it, you know, there are probably some things I need to work on. Uh, that's right about the time that I started teaching at Pitt, uh, actually. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I started teaching data structures, and that really helped me to reinforce my skills in data structures and problem solving. And I think uh, a year later, I interviewed and I, I managed to get through the process pretty effectively. Um, one thing that I think people kind of expect from Google, uh, just, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the company, but my own observations yeah. is people kind of think Google hires only the best people. And I, I don't think that's Google's hiring philosophy. From, mm -hmm. from my perspective, Google's hiring philosophy is more we don't ever want to hire somebody we're not sure is going to be good for the company. So if you think about it in those terms, like it's not so much that we're trying to hire the best, we're trying to never hire someone who's bad. So yeah. if you want to be certain that somebody is going to be able, is, is not going to be bad, you know, like if you want to be certain that they are going to be good enough to work out effectively, you kind of think, well, some people are probably good enough and we, we kind of believe they're good enough, but we're not really positive they're good enough. You know, we're not really sure that they're going to be a good fit or that they're going to be uh, the right sort of uh, skill set for this particular thing. And I don't know, rejection's hard, you know, no matter what it is, you can tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to go for this. and I'm going to be okay with the rejection. You never are going to be, you know, it's always going right. to sting. It's always going to burn a little when you get rejected, but it's not, I don't want to say it's not personal because that makes it sound kind of like cliche, but <laughs> It's just that sometimes it's just not the right kind of time, not the right kind of fit. Yes. It doesn't mean you're not good for the role. It could be that the role filled before you, you had the chance to finish. You know, it could be that uh, there just wasn't something there. So I think that rejection doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad engineer. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you're a bad fit for the role. Uh, a lot of times it just means, you know, this wasn't the right time. This wasn't the right place. Yeah. So you dust yourself off, you try again, and, uh, you know, hopefully the next opportunity works out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, th I think too, just talking about whenever teams are interviewing, sometimes it's just the wrong person for that team right then, you mm -hmm. know, everyone on that team already has a certain strength and they're really looking for someone who's, you know, the opposite. So um, I think it's also really important for people to know their strengths and what they're actually going to bring to that team and, and be able to demonstrate that, you know, like you mentioned on resumes and interviewing, you know, because that's really when it's going to be you know, coming across to them, if it makes sense. So. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good point. You know, I think yeah. one of the things that you don't think about is a, uh, is a person contributing on a team is that sometimes the team dynamic uh, is one of the most valuable things on a team. So if you have a team of 10 engineers and uh, you know, let's say you bring the wrong person onto the team and that person makes everybody a little bit less productive, 
that that extra person might actually not add any new value to your team. Uh, So I think it is important sometimes not because not because someone is is not good. It's just like you said, Mm -hmm. like the team fit for what the team needs or what the team can take on or just the way that someone operates. Sometimes it's not the right fit for the team culture doesn't mean that you're you're bad or that you're not good enough it just means that sometimes this just wasn't the right place you know there are places I could probably go and I'd work and I'd be really unhappy not because the job is bad but just because the environment might not work out for what I prefer yeah exactly so what kind of tips do you have for students though who are trying to figure out what types of companies that they'd like to work for you know how do they go out and build connections in tech are there any suggestions you have for them? Oh, there's a lot of ways to network. Um, I, I think that it, networking is still pretty important. Some companies have uh, some some pretty strict interview processes. You know, I know a lot of companies sort of avoid that, you know, like networking your way into a job nowadays. Uh, right. That used to be really prevalent. Um, I mean, I think it still is prevalent in some spaces, but that used to be a lot more prevalent 10 years ago in, yeah. in my experience. Uh, but you know, I think that there are also, you know, there's value in networking besides just getting the job. Sometimes networking is getting the opportunity to apply for the job or getting, you know, getting that first call back. Um, there are a lot of ways to network. I think that, you know, the university always has people on site. I think that's something that uh, I think is great that the Career Center does is bring people in for talks. And some people come in and they attend the talks and that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. where it ends. It's like they kind of see the talk and, you know, they don't have a, they don't take the opportunity to, to make a connection there. Um, yeah. And that, that's, you know, that's maybe a missed opportunity for a lot of people. If, if somebody comes in and tells you something and you like what they're saying, you know, that's a good opportunity to introduce yourself. Uh, it's a good opportunity to, to try to make that connection, ask some interesting questions, ask something that's going to kind of make you a little bit more memorable. Uh, I, 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 I sort of hesitate to say this because I'm an instructor myself, but I can tell you that those opportunities are probably going to be you know, if you're going to be late for class, those opportunities are probably going to be more <laughs> valuable than the five or 10 minutes you'll be late because you stopped to talk to someone. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that the school offers those, they offer networking opportunities. There are a ton of meetups, you know, whatever it is you're interested in. If, if you type in anything, Java Pittsburgh meetup, you're going to find groups mm-hmm. around who, who are going to do, who are going to have events and have talks. And uh, there's the Pittsburgh Technology Council. There's a lot of ways to meet people in the industry and to make those connections and start to, you know, start to understand people a little bit more. Um, the other thing that I can say is that a great strategy on LinkedIn, and I find not a lot of people do this, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, some people on LinkedIn just col- they collect connections. Uh, you know, they, they just connect with everybody. They just send out connections. And yeah. I actually, I looked at my network a couple of years ago and um, I realized there were people in my network. I didn't even really know who they were, or how we knew each other, you know, what that, you know, what that connection was. So I, I tried mm-hmm. to reconnect with some people, like just talk to them. Uh, and some people didn't respond. So I just, you know, I removed a lot of people from my network if I couldn't really identify who they were. Um, yeah. But one thing I can say is that, you know, the the quality of a connection is going to matter. So a lot of people will go out to LinkedIn and they'll they'll try to connect with 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, whatever, uh, which may work out, may not work out. But I think that if you find someone you want to connect with, if you can think of an interesting question to ask them, if you can add something insightful to that, even if it's somebody you've never met, uh, if you add that note and you say like, hey, I saw that you're doing this particular thing and I was curious about this, you know, and you, you say, you ask that question, 
Uh, I think a lot of people are going to connect with you just so they can answer the question. People love to talk about themselves. They love yeah. to talk about their experience. I mean, here I am, right? Like uh, 28 minutes in, I've, I've, <laughs> I haven't shut up. Uh, but I think that people like to talk about themselves and they like to answer questions. And I think if you can start building this dialogue, if you can start building this rapport with people, I think you'll find a lot of success in your networking, even when you're cold calling people. Uh, but I think on, outside of that, even if you're going to connect to people on LinkedIn uh, that you do know, make sure you add that note and tell them how you know them, uh, remind them of how you've met or, you know, how you how you've encountered them in the past, uh, because, you know, some people. Uh, get a lot of LinkedIn requests, and you know it's hard to kind of kind of separate the people that yeah. they might know versus the people they they might not. So, uh, but I think LinkedIn LinkedIn has made made networking mm -hmm. a lot easier. Uh, just sort of having this like social network for professional purposes, uh, it really has has made it a lot easier to kind of find the right people and to connect with the right people and communicate with the right people when you yeah. are trying to understand what skills to develop or what positions might be out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I can vouch for all those random LinkedIn requests. Sometimes you're like, do I know this person? Or, And then it's like, you don't want to offend them, but then you can't just keep adding people that, you know, you don't <laughs> ever talk to. So yeah, um, I, I get some of those. And, you know, I, I made a policy, uh, like I said, a couple of years ago, like I won't connect with people I don't know. But what I do respond yeah. to people with is uh, an opportunity to just schedule some time in my office hours and make an introduction if I, if I don't recognize your name. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that, if I get a hundred requests, maybe seven or eight of them will act on that. And then yeah. the other ones just, you know, they just kind of sit out there. So, um, you know, but I, I think asking people to do that little bit, I think can help just make it, make it serious. You know, like I want to yeah. have a conversation with you before, before we, before we say we know each other. And I think yeah. that's, that's reasonable. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Well, one last question as the time has completely flown by, um, Okay, so, you know, putting yourselves back into, you know, thinking of yourself as an undergrad or grad at Pitt, um, what is one thing that you wish you had been told then, um, you know, just something that you, you found later that you wish you would have known earlier? Uh, I mean, if I had to say one thing, it would be that... Uh... <laughs> If a professor knows your name and, and recognizes your face, it's going to be really hard to fail a class. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that when I was a fresh, uh, when I was a first year student. Um, yeah. But I think, in, in a little more seriousness, uh, the the thing that I think wasn't clear to me when I was in undergrad is that, that the instructors that I, I was taking classes with are, are human beings. They're just normal people. Yeah. Uh, and I think we have uh, a habit of sort of elevating certain people in certain roles, like to a different kind of standard. Um, your, your instructors and your professors have, they have real life experiences. You know, they've mm -hmm. done things, they've been out there. Uh, they, they, they understand some things, but they also have feelings. They also have human behavior, you know, and yeah. I think that that's something that I, I sort of neglected when I was in college, you know, I think, um, you know, that I probably had some small classes that I didn't go to very often. And I'm sure that the professors knew that I wasn't there. And, you know, I never really thought like, oh, you know what, they're probably noticing me not there. And that's reflecting on me. And that's probably also causing them a little, you know, yeah. a little bit of, of disappointment. Uh, but also, you know, a lot of professors I had, I didn't really leverage those relationships in ways that I could have you know like I, I had John Ramirez when I was an undergrad I had Daniel Mose and uh, I, I've, I've, I've had some relationships with them since graduating but 
Yeah. I mean, it, John Ramirez probably had no idea who I was when I came back to the university to teach because <laughs> I think I, I showed up to his class about half the time and I was like a solid C plus student. Right. Uh, you know, Daniel, I was a little bit closer to, uh, but like, I think he still required a reminder. So I think the, the point I'm trying to make of, make through all of this is like your professors and instructors are also good networking opportunities. You know, yeah. they know people, they know the industry, they know the practice. And uh, I know that there's always this complaint like, oh, you know, we're not learning we're not learning React, we're not learning Angular, right. we're not learning whatever this latest hot new technology is, but uh, the things that they're teaching are as relevant today as they were 40 years ago. Uh, so I think it's really important to kind of consider that the industry is going to change, but there are certain things that are going to be constant and uh, that's the kind of stuff that they learn. So, um, you know, just because they're not teaching these hot new technologies yeah. doesn't mean that they don't understand what they're doing or they don't know what's going on. But uh, I think your professors are probably a bigger opportunity for human connection than you might expect. Yeah. Well, and look in your case too, you, you also work other places and you know, they have, they have lives outside of, <laughs> outside of it. so just, you know, they're, they're real people, like you said. And, I have and a wife, I have children. Yeah. You know, people, you get out, you know, <laughs> I have friends. I have a yeah, dog. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh my well, Tim, this has been incredibly insightful. Um, thank you so much for this. Uh, students, you know, feel free, um, you know, attend any of the presentations. Tim participates in our alumni and residence program. Um, he also mentioned he's an instructor. So you'll, you know, you'll see him about Pitt. Um, so yeah, so thank you so much. This has been really helpful. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck to all the students out there. I hope uh, you find the job opportunities you dream of. Hey everyone, it's John again. I hope you enjoyed listening to Emily and Tim's conversation as much as I did. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to all of our Career Center partners for helping make this podcast happen. As always, take a time out with the Career Center and hail to Pitt.